Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London, you just never know. This week we come to you from New Haven, Connecticut. Joining me now, the Honorable Tony Harp, the mayor of New Haven. Good morning. And how are you? I'm well, how are you? Well, you, you know, I, I, I wanted to ask you one thing that I, that I came across in my research, and I'm sure you know the history of it, but is it true the lollipop was invented here? Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the 1800s, I believe. I believe so, and uh, I think the ironing board too. I don't know. I guess it's still around. So it is, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> What's special to you about this place? Well, you know, it's a, it's a place that you can do a lot of fun things, not have to have a lot of money. We have festivals throughout the summer, and we are still having festivals in September. And you can come; most everything is free. Everyone comes. It's a it's a hugely diverse community, as you well know, and I think everyone feels comfortable here. We have wonderful food. Uh, if you want to taste food from almost anywhere in the world, it's you multicultural. Can, yeah. Yes, you can taste it here in New Haven. So it's a great place to come. 
Yeah, I was I was took a walk from from the study here last night down the street, uh, and and I had to laugh because, you know, yes, there's a Starbucks, you can't miss it, but why would you go there when you have all these other great restaurants? You know? On this rest, on this street alone, I think I counted two Thai restaurants, Chinese restaurant, I mean Italian. It's all there. It's all here. Yes. And, uh, and we're really excited about it almost everywhere. You, you have food from the Middle East, food from Africa, food from uh, almost everywhere in the world. So it's, and it's wonderful food. It's delicious. So it's a delicious place to visit. Are you giving me branding messages now? <laughs> what, was, what was that? <laughs> but now where are you from? I'm from Salt Lake City, Utah. Now, you know, if I, I, if I was on Jeopardy right now, I would have lost that question. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. I mean, you've come a long way. I have. I mean, physically, I'm talking about, (laughs) what brought you to New Haven? I came to go to grad school at Yale. Another Yaley? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. Skull and bones? No. Okay. Just double checking. I had to ask. But now you're the perfect person to ask this question about a mayor. I mean, the fact that Yale is here adds so much to the experience that you're going to have here in this city. Well, it really does. One of the things that Yale brings, and it's free, are world-class art museums as well. Right uh, down the street, we have the Yale Art Gallery. It has um, masterpieces from throughout the world. You, right across the street, you have the British Art Museum. Again, masterpieces from throughout the world, and pieces that you've probably seen before because they're often used in movies to create scenes. Uh, that's how, how great this art is. And it's also accessible online if you are real really interested in art. But the other thing that New Haven has is that we produce plays. One is through Yale, the Yale Rap. Uh, many of their plays go from here to Broadway. And we also have Long Wharf, and the, uh, also producing plays that are original plays here in New Haven so that it's a real artistic community. In a few weeks, we're going to have something that is called Art Space, and artists from throughout the, the region actually show their work, and it's available for sale and uh, goes on for a couple of weeks. It's, it's really um, an exciting place if you want things to do. I mean, I'm a nut when it comes to bookstores. So, of course, walking up and down the street here, I'm, I'm, I went to two or three different bookstores at a space of like three blocks, which is great. No, it's really great, and, and often our bookstores also have wonderful places to eat inside as well. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. speaking to the Honorable Mayor of New Haven, Tony Harp. Madam Mayor, when we last left off, i got to ask you for some of your great little secrets here, right? It's one thing to be able to say, hey, here we are, this amazing community of less than 150,000 people with a great history and a great university, and some of those things you come to expect, museums, libraries, right? Cool stuff. But where do you like to hang out that's not in the brochure, that's not in the guidebook? Well, you know, I'm going to tell you my favorite restaurant is Adriana's. Why? Why? Because uh, the food is phenomenal. And it's uh, it's on Grand Avenue, and 
uh, you would probably not think to go there because it looks almost like it's closed. But it's <laughs> that's not. the kind of restaurant. Those are the places you love, right? Yeah. yeah. And it's right next door to um, um, a butcher, and all of their their meats are fresh. They just walk them over. They just walk them over <laughs> right next door. They also um, uh, they, most of their fish they catch actually out in the sound. So everything is really fresh. So I I absolutely love that. There's a new Brazilian restaurant that is about a block from my office called Taste of Brazil, and I think it's really one of the first Brazilian restaurants that we have. It's phenomenal. You can choose what you want to eat. It's reasonable. And so those are things that I you're, really you're like. A, you're a meat eater, aren't you? I, I am a meat eater. When you say Brazilian <laughs> restaurant, I, I, and, they, and there's a butcher nearby, something, just a, just a lucky Somehow, guess. Somehow, yeah. yeah. Uh, and also my favorite pizza place is really not one of the ones downtown, but Ernie's. On so it's not Pepe's. No, it's Ernie's. It's, it's Ernie's, and it's phenomenal. My daughters live in Atlanta, and they come home, I think, just to go to Ernie's every year. Now, what's special about Ernie's? Um, you know, it's not really thin, and it's not thick uh, crust, and you can tell them whether you want it light or dark, and it's whatever you want. And plus, they use, oftentimes this time of the year, they use... Uh, locally grown vegetables this time, ah. uh, but um, farm to table pizza. Yeah, so it's really kind of it's it's good. It's very tasty. What are your biggest challenges as mayor? Because every city's got their problems. I mean, other than just the normal budget problems. Well, you know, I think that I I look at it uh, three things that I work on that I think it's really important for us to work on, and that's safety, education, and uh, employment for New Haven residents. We are a center of employment for the region, but oftentimes people who live in some of our most challenged neighborhoods have difficulty getting jobs. And so really working on that, trying to make sure that we have the kind of jobs that will employ everybody in our town, actually something that makes us safer. But as well, we, we, we are an urban city, even though we're just a little over 130,000 people, but we have all of the same problems. and so. Making sure that we have a police force that can relate to the community, that the community feels is a part of it, is really important. And well, what every we mayor is going through that now. Absolutely. But I think we have the secret sauce here in New Haven. Tell me. <laughs> I, I, this I want to hear. Go. Well, you know, a couple of things that we do is that um, when we train our police after academy, they spend a full year on a walking beat in a neighborhood. They get to know the people in the neighborhoods. They're walking. They're walking. They're having conversations. They're having conversations. And, and they actually know the neighborhood they're patrolling. And they know the people in the neighborhood. And the people know them and know how to contact them. They ultimately, especially for the supervisors, get their cell phone number. So uh, there is a relationship that I think is really important that you can't really police a problem. The community really polices itself. The police are really there their instruments and you probably have better physically fit police they're walking they're walking they're getting exercise yes and so it's and i think that works so and i think that's really the most important thing that we and do. i mean not to be too silly about it but they also become tour guides because they know their neighborhood you can actually walk up and talk to them and ask them a question you can and they can tell you um where their secret places are <laughs> <laughs> and it better not involve donuts <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> let's get rid of that stereotype right now right yeah none of our police actually will take a donut if you offer it just to let you know you have a <laughs> new haven donut regulation do you <laughs> <laughs> no they just don't want to do it they don't like the stereotype <laughs> <laughs> but they'll take a pizza uh, 
Maybe. 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 <laughs> maybe. They're on a pizza break. They have a, it's a special radio call, right? Not right, a donut right. call, a pizza call. What would you like to see changed here? Well, you know, I think that um, um, one of the things that we're working really, really hard on is reducing the achievement gap. And so uh, really making people understand that we, we live in a knowledge-based economy and that we've got to invest in our young people early on and we've got to invest in a school system that prepares them to work in the economy that will be in their lifetime, not in ours. And what a benefit that you're based in a knowledge-based city. Isn't that great? Yeah. Right? Yes. Uh, and you're an alum. <laughs> no, and, you know, and I can't tell you uh, that Yale has been a really great partner to the city of New Haven. Uh, we're probably one of the few places that gets a voluntary payment in lieu of taxes. And so uh, they, they're really great. They do, they, we have a New Haven Promise program. In New Haven, if you graduate with a B average and you're a New Haven resident, go to school 90% of the time, you can go tuition-free to a state school. And How cool is that? If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. And joining me now is the Dean of the Yale School of Drama and the Artistic Director of the Yale Repertory Theater, James Bundy. What a great building that is. It's a, it's a, a, a magical space for, for audiences over the past 50 years. And, you know, there are a lot of university campuses that have theater programs, and, and thankfully they do. Uh, but yours is is ongoing. It's it's just celebrating its 50th anniversary. Yeah, the Repertory Theater was founded in 1966 by Robert Brustein and uh, and has been allied with the School of Drama for that time, uh, performing a, a a role not unlike that of a teaching hospital. Although I'm gonna I'm gonna throw something at you. Tell me if this makes any sense. There are a lot of theater organizations uh, uh, attached to universities that will do traditional plays. They'll do Shakespeare. They'll do, you know, Rodgers and Hammerstein. I mean, they'll do whatever is in the books, right? They'll do stuff that's already been done, right? It's sort of like, you know, going to school, right? You're breaking those walls because you're doing new stuff. We do. The, we're best known for the new plays that we've produced over the years, over 100 uh, premieres. And, uh, and, and by the way, the stuff that you do this doesn't start and die here, it goes on. That's the idea. The idea is to impact the wider field and to spread the work to the widest possible audience. So the Repertory Theater is probably best known as being the place that produced six of the ten plays in August Wilson's Century Cycle. Right, and how many of your plays have gone on to do Tonys and, and, and Drama League Awards? I mean, it goes on. Yale Rep Productions have won a, uh, have been nominated for about 40 Tony Awards and uh, Yale Rep and have won uh, nine. All right, so here's the travel secret that I'm sure you'll appreciate. It's about an hour and a half train ride from New York. Right. Right? What a great way to go up and see theater. It's a great way to go up and see theater, and, and when you see the theater, you are uh, across the street from the Yale University Art Gallery. You are down the block from the Yale Center for British Art. Yale, Yale has a wealth of arts opportunities so that people can come here, stay at the study, and, and uh, within five minutes be in the presence of world-class art. Let's talk about some of the plays that you're doing, some of the works that you're doing, because some of them are somewhat controversial. 
Some of them uh, are, are breaking new ground in terms of, of the questions they're making people think about, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're doing, uh, this season, we're doing three world premieres. Uh, the first play in our season. Which, now, i got to ask you a question. A yeah. world premiere means it's here first. That's it's never it. been performed professionally any okay. other place. And so, uh, so our, our season opens with a play called Scenes from Court Life by the uh, MacArthur Genius Award winner Sarah Rule. And uh, that play uh, draws parallels between the Stuart dynasty in Great Britain in the 17th century and the Bush dynasty in the United States in, in the 20th and 21st centuries. Well, who, great idea. Yeah, it's a really, really fun play. And it actually... Obviously a comedy. Uh, and uh, satire, I'd I, say. I, I'm with you. And I'm they, with you. And they play, you know, they play tennis on stage, both court tennis and, uh, and contemporary tennis. Well, so you, a lot of different devices being used here. Absolutely. I would assume, historically, that you see a number of playwrights, uh, not just the new ones, but the, but the guys who have already cut their, you know, cut their eye teeth and, and are, are out there working, who want to come back to New Haven and, and, and basically do their new stuff here. Well, we're certainly, you know, we're, we were very fortunate last year, for instance, to have the Pulitzer Prize winning playwright Paula Vogel premiere her play Indecent Here. That's a play which uh, producers have uh, announced their intent to produce on Broadway um, later this season. So, so we do, we get a mix of uh, established and, uh, and emerging writers at the theater. And the, we, now we're talking about just the writers now. Let's talk about the actors. Well, the... the of course, one of the things that happen, uh, happens at Yale Rep over the years is we, we, we think it's really important to draw major talent to the city and to give our audiences the opportunity to see the most wonderful actors in America. Uh, and in addition, over the years, because students at the Yale School of Drama end up performing at Yale Repertory Theater, uh, a, a longtime Yale Rep audience member would have seen uh, so many household names on this stage from Meryl Streep and Sigourney Weaver to... Uh, to Paul Giamatti and Angela Bassett and Courtney B. Vance. Uh, All right, so i got to ask the obvious question. Do those stars, after they become stars, ever come back and perform here? Sure. Paul Giamatti came back here in 2013 to uh, play Hamlet. And uh, Diane Weist, who uh, didn't attend the school, but Diane Weist performed at Yale Repertory Theater uh, in the 1980s twice and then went on to win two Academy Awards. And she was just back last year to perform in Samuel Beckett's Happy Days. So there's an alumnus, an alumni association, people, if you will. People, people, people like to come back. Now, it's not a big theater. No, it's not. We, we actually operate in two theaters, the, uh, the theater, the, the Brick Church, the former Calvary Baptist which Church. Which you see right there on the street, right? Yeah, right, which has a, a little under four, uh, uh, 489 seats about. And, uh, and then also the University Theater, which is the first professional quality theater built on a university campus in America, uh, built in 1925, and that has about 600 seats. Wow. Well, stick with us. James Bundy, the artistic director of the Yale Repertory, the- Repertory Theater. Riding along in my automobile My baby beside me at the wheel Cruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. We've been speaking with James Bundy, the dean of the Yale School of Drama and the artistic director of the Yale Repertory Theater. You know, 
I'm one of those people who still believes in the art of the conversation, uh, the, fact, the fact that within a university campus or a city like New Haven, you can actually walk. How about that as a concept, right? <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, you can talk to people. You can engage in interesting conversation, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm assuming that's part of what keeps you here. Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, the, we, we, those of us who work at Yale, we live in an environment of incredible privilege. You know, this is a great university that has been supported by donations over hundreds of years. And so we have this wealth of, uh, of ideas, of experiences. The, the, in, on the academic side, uh, the university has four leading schools in the arts, uh, in art, architecture, music, and drama, and, uh, and they create a tremendous uh, foment of activity and ideas and creativity. And you know, it's pro the, the proximity of, of, of this campus to either Boston or New York, uh, it, it makes it so easy and accessible. Yeah, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful place to come. And when you do, when you do get here, I, I think that uh, also there's, a, there's just a, a wonderful array of, it's not a big city, but it has a magnificent array of restaurants and, uh, and a really, really uh, warm, inviting streetscape. At multicultural restaurants. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but let's go back to walking for a second. Yes. Right? I mean, I, I love to be able to get out and walk. I did it last night. Um, and you say, I mean, New Haven's not a big city. It's a manageable city. Right? So where do you like to walk? Where do you like to go when you're not at the theater? Well, what my wife likes to do is uh, she likes to go up uh, West Rock, which is uh, there, are two, there are two giant um, rock outcroppings that rise over the city. And so basically, this, this is New Haven's attempt at a mountain? It's, it's, I just want to make sure we got it, this right. It wasn't even an attempt. I think it predates any, but <laughs> any of the people arriving. I'm talking about attempt at defining a mountain. <laughs> yeah. yeah okay. but, uh, these are, but these are, you know, short day hike, not even a day hike. It's sort of, you know, an hour-long hike that you do up a, up a, a wonderful trail, and you end up, uh, you know, with a view for 50 or 60 miles on a good day. It's a really, really beautiful, beautiful, those are beautiful spots. One of the things I was thinking about in terms of the sense of community, and I'm always, you know, I live in Los Angeles, which I like to describe as 87 different incorporated cities in desperate search of a community, right? So, but this is a community. And it's a community of conversation, it's a community of ideas. I'm assuming either at, at the School of Drama or at the theater, when you have a playwright here, he's in, he or she is in residence for a while. I mean, they're working, they're working on the piece. So that's an opportunity for that conversation to go in many different directions. That's absolutely true. Different writers do that different ways, of course. Some people really hole up in their apartment, but I remember pretty vividly, August Wilson was here for his 10th uh, and final play in his century cycle, and he used to sit in the coffee shop around and the hold corner court. and just, court. just speak to anybody who came in. He, re he really, really enjoyed being out in the community. I'm assuming you encourage your, your playwrights to do that. Well, we, you know, we don't really have to encourage them. It's also, it's also a city of coffee shops and bookshops and places that you can actually sort of kick back and, and uh, you know, enjoy, the, as you say, the natural light. All right, so, so other than the rock cropping, yes. <laughs> uh, where is your place, where do you love to go to eat? Where do you love to go hang out that may not be in the brochure or the guidebook? Well, it's really, I, I, you know, of course, if you live in New Haven for a long time and people come visit you, where you take them is you take them uh, down by Worcester Square. 
uh, because that's where the wonderful family Italian restaurants are. And, of course, New Haven is famous for its pizza. Yeah, we, 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 later on in the show, we're going to be talking about that, Peppy's, right? Yeah, yeah. Peppy, Peppy's and Sally's. But that's, ongoing, a, that's a ritual. Peppy's, Sally's, and Modern. Those okay, are the, but th- th- that's the ritual. Right. It's the Mecca. You have to do it, Yeah. right? Yeah, you do. I think you do have to do it. If you've never been to New Haven before, you should definitely go there. Okay. But if it's not pizza? If it's not pizza. Yeah. Um, I... I like uh, I, there's a wonderful uh, uh, there's a wonderful restaurant uh, uh, across uh, r- right, sorry right next to uh, the Schubert Theater, um, um, which the name of which is actually completely escaping me because you, because I feel put on this Roya it's called Roya there you go you see yeah, you got Roya it. okay got it. Got it. so uh, Roya is a wonderful restaurant it just opened two years ago the chef Avi Shapiro is uh, really really warm friendly uh comes out and talks to the customers and uh and he really takes care of people it's a it's a great place where are the wagons the wagon is too slow can't you ride it's not that he can't ride how is it you put it home they're dangerous at both ends and crafty in the middle why would i want anything with a mind of its own bobbing about between my legs I'm one of those guys who, the, the minute I got to New Haven, I took a little walk from the study, and you walk about 80 feet, and you're at a bookstore. In fact, if you walk another 80 feet, you're at a bookstore. I mean, what do I love about New Haven, among other things? You can find a lot of great books here, and you can find a lot of great old books here. I bought a lot of, not the old books, couldn't buy those, but I can visit them at an amazing library called the Beinecke Library, and uh, Mike Moran is with us now. I mean, we're in a culture here, people want to do everything online, I like to. I'm still one of those old school guys who likes to hold things in my hand. You too. Very much, and we at the Beinecke very much believe that there is no past as long as books shall live. Is a great line from a 19th century English author, and so this is not about the past at all. It's very much about the present. Having a library like the Beinecke that anyone can access. Well, it's sort of like the George Santayana line. If you don't remember the past, you're doomed to repeat it. Exactly. You, you really need to figure out what you're doing, and the way you do that is you look for great books. Right. Tell me about the Bonnie. Give me the history of it. So the building and the library opened in 1963. We celebrated our 50th anniversary three years ago, and just now we've completed a comprehensive renovation and restoration of the library. So it's just reopened to the public, to researchers, visitors of all kinds from all over. It's open well, to the public? It is open to the public. We have a very robust exhibition program at the end of September. There'll be two new exhibits, one celebrating the James Weldon Johnson collection, one of the greatest collections of African-American arts and letters, and one celebrating new acquisitions. The library, though, really dates to the founding of Yale. We have the original books that formed the Yale Library and have been acquiring and collecting for many centuries. So it's one of the great repositories of books anywhere on the planet. Well, speaking of repositories, I mean, I'm, I'm going to ask you, like, like, you know, which one is your favorite kid? But I mean, what's the one book in there that, that's the wow, that people go, that's the, that's the mother load right there. We have to, you know, that's the one. Well, I think there are many, but two that are on permanent display that are always wows is one of, two, uh, one of 21 complete sets of the Gutenberg, library, Gutenberg Bible and also two editions of James Audubon's Birds of America. Okay, now I have so to stop. on permanent display. I have to stop you right there because you just said something that was really fascinating. You said sets of the Bible. 
Most people thought it was one book. Yeah, <clears throat> it's two. And the pages are turned so you can come uh, and, and different days and, and actually see different pages of the Bible. So your docents go in there and actually put the gloves on yeah. and turn the pages. Wow, amazing. Do you have an overdue uh, charge that's a very serious overdue charge? Uh, I do not. Uh, no one at the <laughs> Beinecke does because the books are used on site. You can't leave with the books. People come from a block away on campus and from all around the world. In our first week, we have researchers who are coming from New Haven and from campus, as well as researchers coming from Poland and Germany. So we have a magnificent reading room, 10,000. In the last year that we were fully open, we had 10,000 readers come and use the reading room. 150,000 people come through the doors for exhibits and events. So it's very actively used. And again, it's people who are right here on campus and people from all over the nation, but it's, all over but the world. it's open to the public. Absolutely. Mike, you know, there are three things I, I like to do whenever I go to a new city, or even an old city, I mean, one I've been to before, if I have time. And I, these are must-stops for me, right? One is the firehouse, because they know everything about that city. Because they've been in everybody's hotel and their homes and their restaurants. They know where to go, they know where not to go. They also know where to eat, right? Okay. The second place is I want to go to just one museum, because if I do more than one museum, my eyes glaze over. I don't have enough time. I really want to immerse myself and take the time, right? Too many people are just trying to check off a list, you know? And then the third thing is go to a library. Because you're all, it's like going to the bookstore. You always discover something that you had no idea was there. And the Beinecke Library shows up appropriately on the bucket list of just about everybody of libraries that are must-visits on the planet. It is an extraordinary architectural object. Explain. It is a volume that on the outside is Vermont marble, really quite extraordinary. You walk in, and it is a library within a library. There is a six-story glass book tower that includes 180,000 volumes. And both people who walk in for the first time and staff who have been working there for 30 years, when they walk in, are truly filled with awe. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, You're a a Yale grad. I am a Yale grad. You've been here 33 years. I have. They haven't found out yet. (laughs) (laughs) So you have a particular love affair with this library. I do. But the love affair is rekindled truly every time a new person walks in and you see that sense of wonder. And my colleagues at the Beinecke all say that they have never uh, lost that sense of awe. And the collections themselves, which have more than a million books, manuscripts, and other items are inexhaustible. You know, there's a book that I like to give to friends. Um, you can get it online or you can get it at bookstores. It's called An Incomplete Education. It's just a great compilation of history. You open it up to any page, you learn something. I would say the same thing about your library. You know, the minute you walk in, you're going to learn something. Hello? Uh, this is your captain speaking. There is absolutely no cause for alarm. Joining us now, the uh, the executive chef of Heirloom right here at, at, at the study at Yale, That's correct. Uh, Carrie Savona. And, and listen, you heard what I said, farm the t- but you guys are, right? Technically, we are, yeah. Uh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here yeah. uh, speaking with you. But yeah, uh, technically, we're, we're a farm-to-table restaurant. We call ourselves Farm Coastal because uh, at the time, we felt that farm-to-table was being a bit overused um, 
in that department. So because everybody's saying they're farm to table. Everyone's saying they're farm to table. Hey, we got a farm. Right. We got a table. Look yeah. what we have here for you, farm to table. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And a lot of people weren't hold, upholding those principles. So right. you know, I grew up in Connecticut, and when when I came here, uh, you know, our premise was how do we make a place that's reinterpreted New England cooking, um, and that name to me was was Farm Coastal. So I grew up by the okay, coast. Okay, so give me. Okay, so we're talking about stuff that they're they're growing blueberries near the Atlantic, perhaps. Absolutely, yeah, blueberries near the Atlantic. Uh, but you know, farmlands that we use, we use many local vendors. Um, also, a lot of our, our produce, uh, uh, you know, comes from uh, localized areas. Obviously, we use the Yale Farm when we can. Lots of uh, local seafood when we can, whenever possible. But also, we're realistic about the process, too. So that's why we didn't want to have that title. We understand that we're a hotel. It's a little bit difficult to do that entirely as a hotel. So there's certain other standards that people want, also uh, demand. Such as? Well, we, I gave a, a tour uh, for the city of New Haven. We do uh, some restaurant tours. They came and saw us. We took them back of the house, and obviously we showed them. You know, well, it's, it's always back of the house. Always back of the house. So, we, you know, we showed them, the, you know, we had farm deliveries coming in. Here's our local vendors. But then we went up in the back and uh, the dry storage. I saw they were looking at, uh, you know, some bottles of, like, Hershey syrup. I said, well, you know, if Mrs. Smith, if they want Hershey syrup for their, their milk chocolate, then, then we do that. We're, we're, not, we're realistic about that process. So a couple of bottles of uh, Heinz ketchup, perhaps. Heinz is a very good product, absolutely. You know, we're not, <laughs> not going to mess with it. Give me an idea of what you've got on the menu that really is true to form in that way. Absolutely. So um, we use local tomatoes, obviously. We have a, uh, we also use a, a neighborhood approach as well. So there's a great company localized called Laiuzi. We use their cheese. We use their burrata to make caprese salad. Um, we use loads and Now, you see, when I think cheese, I don't necessarily think Connecticut. Correct. So we try to we try to bring that to the table for us, and uh, they, they do a great thing. So we use their stracciatelle. We use their burrata. Uh, our burger is probably perhaps one of the best burgers in Connecticut. We get our meat. It's 100% grass-fed. It comes from East Lyme, Connecticut. It's a great product. We choose to use it. So when we, we made that decision many, many years ago. I always ask the chefs this. You are no exception. What's the one thing you put on your menu that you figure, man, everybody is just going to love this, and it tanked? Oh, there's... Well, right, wait, wait. <laughs> and I'll give you the flip side of that. Okay. What's the one thing you put on the menu thinking... Man, who the heck is going to order this? And you can't keep enough of it because everybody wants it. I would say more often than not, probably all the things that you think are going to be really, really successful are not. They just totally, for example, totally tank. Um, you know, there's there's too many of them. I can't give me give, one. I can't give you one precise example. I did a um, this is years ago. We did a duck dish, uh, and it had a it, it started out as a as a like a pickle type broth, and I thought the balance of flavors was just fantastic. And um, again, there was there was kind of like the first step of this is not going to go very well. Uh, but then as we got feedback, it was, uh, you know, people could, didn't give you that. Oh, this is really great, which is typically, you know, when someone likes something, yeah, yeah. a hit is a hit is a hit. Um, and it just we pushed for it. I pushed for it. It didn't work. But so you, have you finally to. pushed the duck out the door. I pushed it out the door. And we've had a lot of success with other duck dishes. And that also actually developed into another dish. One of the dishes that has probably been the other side of that spectrum, the absolute success, is a scallops dish that it's been a part of my repertoire for a long, long time. Uh, that's uh, main sea scallops. It's seared on uh, caramelized spaghetti squash with sage, capers, citrus, and sultanas. I've cooked that dish for probably 17 years. And what you're basically telling me is that's staying on the menu. That stays on the menu. <laughs> and I've had I've had cooks and chefs that have cooked that dish, and they've cooked thousands of them. They say, I can't cook this anymore. I can't believe we're still doing this. Why don't we change it? Why don't we adapt it? And essentially... No, if it's, it's not broken, you don't fix you it. You don't fix it. It's still the number one seller. It's still the number one seller here. So it's wow. a fantastic dish and just happened to work out. So if you have the choice between the duck or the scallops, go with the scallops. Go with the scallops. I thought I'd mention that. <laughs> <laughs>
the duck has left the building. We do have many popular duck dishes here, though. But that duck left the that building. That duck left the building. I mean, there, again, there's so many of them. Yeah. And you're, you're, you're always surprised by it. You say, oh, this is, this is going to be the one. They're going to write about this forever. And it never works. Usually by mistake is the, is the best way that you come about the dishes. Now, you see, you just give me the idea of a great menu item. By mistake. By mistake. Just put it on. By yeah. mistake. Don't even tell them what, what's on the menu. Just, say, just order it by mistake, and then they'll like it. Certainly. Certainly. Right. I like it. Right. There's, there's the success duck, the mistake duck, the trial by error duck, <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the, uh, the coast-to-table scallops. The coast-to-table scallops. Absolutely. Chef Kerry Savona, the executive chef of Heirloom, right here at the Study by Yale. We have clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? Now I radio clearance over. That's clearance over. Over. Roger. Huh? I should tell you in the interest of, uh, well, just in this great storytelling, that last week when I was in New York and I was telling the guys at CBS I was coming up to New Haven, they said, hey, man, you got to go to Frank Pepe's. It's the best pizza in the world, blah, 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 blah. I said, and, and everybody said, yeah, 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 yeah. So, of course, we had to, we had to get you guys on the show so we booked Gary Bomonte, who's the grandson. Hi, yes, thank you. Of the founder, but you're the current owner of yes, Frank owner. Pepe's. Yeah. I mean, it's legendary. Yes, yes. What makes it so great? And what, what did your grand, grandfather know that we didn't know? Uh, what makes it so great is just a combination of everything, the coal-fired uh, oven. Well, let's start with that. How many people still have a coal-fired oven? Oh, there's quite a few, to really? be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah, and you're meeting EPA standards? Yes, yes. <laughs> yes Free emissions? Absolutely. absolutely, yes. Now, in the old days, I mean, we're talking tomato pies, right? But what we're really talking about now is, is this thin sliced pizza? Yeah, thin crust. Thin crust. Neapolitan style. Right, like yeah. New York style. Yeah. Not deep dish. Not deep dish. Okay, so I'm already in. Yeah. I, don't, I'm, I am not a deep dish fan, I got to tell you. I like to be able to take it, fold it. You got to eat it the right way. You take it, you fold it over, yep. you burn your lip, yep. you burn your tongue, and you're happy. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, what? Okay, what is the recipe that we need to know about that you can tell us? I can't tell you anything. It's all proprietary. Oh, jeez. Okay, then let's go back <laughs> to the coal-fired oven. <laughs> How hot do you heat that thing? At? Uh, we cook at about 600 degrees. That's hot. Yeah, coal burns at about 1500, so you get that intense, dry heat, and that's what kind of caramelizes everything and seals all the flavors in. And then, how many different varieties do you have? Uh, I believe we have like 15 toppings, something like that. Not too many. 15's a lot? Mm, Most amount. Okay, right. (laughs) But, you know, do you do a four-cheese pizza? Yes, we do. Okay, now we're in. Yes. Okay, that to me is like, that's not gilding the lily. That's just... Quattro formaggio. Oh, thank you so much, (laughs) Gary Bomonte. (laughs) (laughs) You've been in business how long? 91 years. Wow. Same location? Uh, yes. Well, um, right next door was the spot location. Right. And that's where my grandfather first opened up in 1925. Then he moved to the larger uh, location in 1936. Now, you know, in the world of bagels, how about this for a second? Yes. In the world of bagels, people will always tell you, it's not just the dough, it's the water. Absolutely. Right? So, for me, there are only two great bagels in the world. Montreal and New York. Yep. After that, it doesn't count. I mean, I've had the worst bagels in the world outside of Montreal and New York. You can't get a bad bagel in Montreal, and you really can't get a bad bagel in New York. You can actually get bad bagels in L.A., trust me. <laughs> what about the water? Uh, well, actually, when we first uh, started doing our expansion, we went to Fairfield first, 
and we actually had the water tested and it's the same as well, the water we have here so we didn't even bother testing the water uh in other other locations excuse me yeah and um and we're just blessed in the northeast to have great water and then there's the dough yes now how long does it take you to make this stuff are you doing it all by hand well no we have a machine to do it oh excuse me i know but i'm saying <laughs> yeah it's all by hand it's but all you, done you, in-house you don't have a guy spinning the pizza no oh so oh man come on <laughs> when was the last time you spun a pizza I, I very rarely spin a pizza, but I've I've made pizzas recently. Right. Yeah. And there have been sp- there's been spinning involved. Come Occasionally, on. Occasionally. A little. A little. A little, little, bit, little, a little, little bit, bit. A little bit. A little showmanship. Okay. Because that's always kind of fun to see it. Yeah. It's like yeah. going to China, watching them make the noodles. You know. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. okay. Absolutely. Your most your most popular pizza. Uh. Well, we're we're nationally known for our white clam pizza, uh, fresh shuck clams, garlic oil, um, oregano. Now you say fresh shuck clams. That means it's coming in every day. Oh yeah, yeah. The clams, yeah. The clams come in, and we have a couple of guys. What kind of clams? Cherry stones. Cool. I love it. They're to our spec. How do you get a cherry stone clam to your spec? We, we do. What do you have? You have cherry stone clam inspectors. <laughs> they're, they're from certain beds. They're from certain beds uh, in the area. They're local. Right. And uh, we look for a certain. Uh, alkalinity and uh, pH and all that other okay, stuff. Okay, so Gary, here's the deal. I'm coming <laughs> back, and this is what I want. You ready? Yeah. I want the cherry stone clams, uh-huh. quattro formaggi, yeah. and burn it. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Varian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus.